Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show. I'm your host, Adam McQueen, and in today's show, I was joined by Colby Kennedy, Product Marketing Manager at Reputation. In the episode, we talked about the starting point for Colby's competitive program, what he's done to create usable competitive content for salespeople, and how he's used his teaching background to train end users in becoming more comfortable using competitive intelligence. With that all said, let's get into today's episode. All right, today we are joined by Colby Kennedy, the Product Marketing Manager at Reputation. Thanks for joining us, Colby. 100%, man. Thank you very much for uh, having me, Adam. It's my birthday today, so shout out to me and everyone listening. (laughs) Yeah, we we specifically timed this so that Colby would get to enjoy his birthday on a Friday recording a podcast with myself. That's (laughs) your present. That's my birthday was, so I'm glad I became through. Fantastic. (laughs) So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about a couple different things, but we're going to be talking about how you get support for your competitive program, how you transform all of this intel that you're receiving and actually transforming that into usable competitive content, and then how you actually train your sellers and other end users into using this competitive information that's at their disposal. So before we get into the training of sales and kind of transferring intel into content, I, I, I want to talk about getting buy-in first because I think that's kind of the initial start point, right? Absolutely, yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. What, what are some of the ways that you got your exec team or decision makers on board for your competitive program? I think it's quite likely that most people who are in the brass or in leadership positions have like a sales background. Um, that's a, usually how they get up there anyways. Um, and so anything that the more scientific, the better. And the more ROI you can show, the better. So if you can come to them with this fully formed programs, ideas, thoughts, and data visualization as possible, the better, right? So, and specifically, if you could show how much money you're losing based on CI and how much you stand to gain, how much you stand to improve based on CI, that's going to go like a long way. Because they've got so much in their mind. If you can like give them some a snapshot based on, hey, we, we stand to make a bazillion dollars next year if we crack down on CI because we're losing all these deals, that's going to go like a long way, right? It's going to affect the bottom line. So anything that can be demonstrated can. Data visualization is a big deal. And getting them involved as early as possible to avoid like sticker shock if it's going to take an investment. Uh, the better, you know, so get them involved super early. And before you get to them come with like as much, you know, data as possible and visualization as possible and clarity as possible. And then getting them involved early also helps with the creation of the program. So it can help lock in goals. So you're both on the same page when it does come time down the road after you have invested to show your ROI, right? So you, you know, this is what we're both working toward and then that can help them. What did that look like in your case when you first present sort of this landscape or what the competitive landscape's looking like and where, where threats are coming from and how that how that got your exact team on board early? And I like that idea of getting them on board early and actually because you have them in there at that at that early stage before the program's even really launched, that you can have them really be hands-on in terms of the direction that it takes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, 
this, a lot of stuff we did was through Salesforce. We did a ton of like one loss uh, deals over the past year. And so some of the things we found out were like win rates of big deals versus small deals. And hey, we're doing great with this size, but not with that size. So we need to bump that up or, you know, which competitor we won or lost to the most, um, you know, how much AAR was being lost overall and per competitor to say, hey, we're losing, I guess, ABC competitor, we're losing this much money. So we stand to gain this much if we invest in this and start cracking down on CI, you know, that went, went a long way. Uh, the size of the deals won versus lost. Um, breaking down by vertical, what industries are doing well in, what are we not doing well in. Uh, one thing that was cool was breaking down like the top five one loss uh, deals by competitor. So this is the five biggest AAR deals, one and lost to competitor ABC. And then that way we can dig into how we're comparing against that specific competitor, who's working on those deals, interview them, do some research, focus group type stuff, questionnaires, uh, where we dig into like the close one lost notes on a specific deal uh, are on the top five of specific deals for a competitor. That really showed, uh, gives a lot of direction on, on, you know, where we stand to gain from like cracking down on CI. And then also one thing we took away was like Salesforce hygiene and data quality. <laughs> how often are people naming the competitor? How often are they actually filling out uh, close one loss reasons due to, you know, competitor stuff? And how are they really putting good notes on there? Are they really uh, trying to dig in with the prospect or client on how they feel about the competitor, that kind of thing? So that was all stuff that we, we did analysis on and took to, you know, the higher ups before we really started creating the program. Yeah. That's the, the idea of data hygiene in the CRM. Every, every conversation I have with our internal teams here is like, we need that fix. We need that fix. And then when I talk to other product marketers, is like, Sometimes it can be it can be ugly in that Salesforce um, in that in in Salesforce when you're when you're identifying those like threats to the business was deal size you mentioned like the big deals and how you're performing in big deals was that a very was that one was that something where you really put a lot of your attention? Um, we really just put a lot of the attention, I guess, on anywhere we had deficiencies. So whether that was a vertical, a deal size, a competitor. Uh, where we just didn't have a lot of information. I mean, and that was what was great about the analysis is that it really was able to push us in just places that we had deficiencies. And in the places that we were doing well, we could interview uh, sales reps and say like, what's going well here? Why are people saying yes to this, but not to the other? And then we could go find that out. So, I mean, it really just pushed us uh, not specifically to like big or small or, or, or whatever, but we just found different pockets of where we could improve. And yeah, we were able to, to, you know, move it to uh, where, wherever it needed uh, focus. Did, uh, did you have to prioritize? So you've got like deficiencies and you're talking about across different verticals, different deal size. Was there sort of when you've kind of made your checklist of like, these are some of the areas that we need to improve. Did you have to prioritize them? Was it, how did you kind of map out how you're going to take that chunk by chunk? I'll tell you how we mapped it out, Adam. Some cold, hard cash. That's how we map it out. <laughs> where are we losing the most money? That's where we mapped it out. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, easily it was like, where are we losing the most ARR? Um, and how much ARR do we stand to gain by like, you know, improving this area? I mean, that, that was pretty simple, right? If it's competitor ABC or if it's these verticals or this deal size, and that's where we're losing the most money, then like, let's focus on that. So, and 
that's again going to resonate with the brass and that bottom line. So that that was pretty easy as far as how to prioritize. We can get to that. There's a lot of places we can improve, but we can get to the smaller ones later. Let's focus on where we're losing the most money. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I want to kind of transition now to that's sort of the high level how you're getting the execs, decision makers on board in that early stage. But all of this it doesn't matter if sales as one of your primary end users aren't actually using the Intel or the content is at their disposal. So before we get into actually like the packaging of the content, what are your early steps to getting credibility and getting their trust and buy-in as well? Yeah. Um, well, before we go that, I do want to say, I think it's a take to take a step back when you're talking to the higher ups and, and the leaders of the company and you're trying to create the program, the CI program, especially if it's like from scratch. I wanted to say it's also important to integrate the CI program with the overall company direction and goals because, you know, salespeople in the field and everybody else obviously is trying to shift with whatever the company's trying to do, whether that's a rebrand, whether that's focusing on a different product, uh, whether that's moving into a new sector, whatever. Uh, it's important to have that CI program reflect that. So like if your company is, you know, mainly their competitors right now, sell product A and you go head to head in product A, but you know that the company wants to shift more to a focus on product B, then you need to proactively look at the competitors that would be selling uh, product B, you know? So that way uh, you're more proactive rather than reactive. You can go ahead and have a plan and a strategy to go up against these competitors of the future, even though you're not going up against them a lot right now. You know, so I think that's really important to integrate CI with the company direction and the company goals. I think that's really important. But as far as getting sales in there, uh, it, like uh, uh, getting credibility with them and, and getting the, their buy-in, that was pretty easy for us. They were all like really psyched about it. They were all really excited. Um, so that was easy for us. But I think several things that would go a long way to get people to buy in for sales is having leaders like brass like you know c-suite level people present solutions and programs and having sales leaders do the same present the solution present the program make them active participants in creating and presenting and kicking off the platform because you know c-suite people are talking the field's going to listen same thing with like leaders from the field speaking sales people tend to listen to other sales people they're like they get it they understand what we're dealing with on the front lines every day. It's not somebody who doesn't understand what I'm going through. Now you can still be behind the scenes, pulling all the strings, telling the sales leader exactly what to say. Like, this is what the direction we're going in with this program, but it's great if it comes from their mouth. People are like, Oh, oh I got to listen to this. This is a good idea. All right. You know, if their own sales leaders or seats leader are, are saying it. So having those people help present, you know, if you have a big meeting field meeting and you're like, we're going to kick off this new CI program or whatever. It's great to have those people who you've already spoken to before, you know, help present the solution or help say, Hey guys, this is something we're going to, you know, kick off and we're going to dig into. So pay attention rather than you as a marketing or product person or whatever, just trying to force it into their brain and their subconscious. Like I'm not really paying attention. Yeah. Um, another thing, was that we did specifically that helped a lot was surveying the field. Uh, that was just awesome to have kind of quantified data about um, what the field needed, what they thought, where they went for stuff. So like some of the stuff we surveyed them on, 
were confidence levels against specific competitors or in specific situations, right? Hey, you're up against competitor ABC in this situation. How confident are you from not confident at all to neutral to I'm very confident? And that really was illuminating into what competitors specifically people were like, well, I got this. I know exactly what to say. Or I know exactly how to deposition them versus the other ones who are like, I'm lost. So that's, again, just more focus on we know where to put our efforts right now, you know? Another thing we found out was uh, where they go for CI info and assets. You know, is, is everybody going to one repository? Is there is just wild, wild west and people are just like Googling stuff at random, you know? Uh, <laughs> that, 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 was, that was definitely helpful as well to find out where they're going for stuff. Uh, what types of info are, are most useful? Is it objection handling? Is it product to product stuff? Is it some kind of boilerplate on how to deposition each one of the competitors or whatever, you know? Common, common problems facing competition. Um, and then one thing I think that was really important was having an open-ended uh, question about what they want from CI or problems they've had with CI in the past or what problem they keep facing. That open-endedness can really be helpful because there's just so many nooks and crannies, especially if you're in like the SaaS platform area and you totally. do a bunch of different things. So you have about a billion competitors because it's not like you just do one track thing. There's so many nooks and crannies and small areas where that didn't fit into like the five multiple choice answers but that's great to know because like you know a hundred people said the same thing even though you didn't have it in there as an answer or something um and then i think one last thing that would help people um you know having having the brass present having sales leaders present have uh surveying the field before you even present a, a ci program or tell them like where to buy and get stuff. Uh, those three, those three things are helpful, but also uh, presenting stuff in a use case format. So not just here's where this stuff is, here's where it helps. And not just, um, you know, oh, we're going to invest in this technology or we're keeping this program off, but actually like, Hey guys, if you're in a meeting with a prospect and they bring up competitor ABC or they say, but you guys don't do blah, blah, blah here's how we can deal with it, you know? Cause that just brings it into their world. makes it easy for them to visualize, here's how I would use this stuff. I can't wait to use it now in the real world. So presenting in a use case format, I think it'd be really, really helpful. Those, those are all really good points. And I find that interesting as well from the internal survey you were talking about. It almost hits three things as well. It, it hits what kind of content you have to actually create I think it also what I was interested by that you mentioned as well, though, is that like also what you need to do from an operational standpoint. I like that when you mentioned like where are you actually going right now, not just about how you feel about competitors, where you're getting tripped up, but where are you going for answers? And also kind of that strategic standpoint, like I think confidence on competitors as well ties into what you were mentioning in the initial stages when you're outlining your landscape and where your main threats are to execs is that just another data point to kind of bake in when you're presenting that case early on yeah yeah absolutely 100 percent. let's get into the actual creation of the content here and if i if i had a dollar for every time i've heard from product marketers that the biggest difficulty is getting all of this information all of this intel is now coming in but What's that process like of morphing it into usable content? If I had a dollar every time someone had told me that, like, I wouldn't have student loans anymore. Yeah, right. <laughs> but <laughs> unfortunately, I still do. But 
what what is what does that look like for you like how how do you kind of tackle that that initial task of okay i've got a ton of information coming in what matters and how is this going to be used for end sellers i think that the best way to do it is to remain as high level as possible and as um, applicable as possible. High level and applicable. One way to maybe get those two things, high level and applicable, is bullet points on what, when, why, where, who, and how of of competitors, of certain situations, of whatever you want to say. Um, So... Man, as simple as things as like not having stuff be full sentences, just bullet point stuff. Put like a, a word minimum on your own stuff because like we have battle cards that have a ton of information in them, but they could have so much more information in them, you know? Um, but you just want to make it as consumable as possible. Not more, like if it's a kill sheet, not more than two or three pages. You know, if it's a battle card, uh, just bullet points, uh, maybe six of them per like section or something like that, you know? Uh, so, and also I think interviewing reps has gone a long way into showing me what's going to actually be helpful. What's actually going to be applicable and, and how to pull out of quotes of a bunch of information, what's actually going to help. And I think for V1 of something, if you're creating an asset or, or a collateral of some type, Put everything in there. Put everything in V1. Put all the information, all the whatever, you know. V2, go through it and start trying to chisel down just from that whole paragraph. What's the one bullet you could pull out of there that this is the essence of what we're trying to say? This is what we're trying to do position. This is what people are actually going to use, what they're actually looking for, you know. You just have to do your best at trimming the fat. And it could be hard at first, but it's it's better to have too little information, but the information is applicable and will sink in is actually useful than too much information. And people are going to look at it and be like, this is a bird's nest of information. I don't even know where to begin. It's like the matrix with all the numbers coming down. I'm not even going to like mess with this, you know? Uh, so I would go, I would err on the side of like actually usable too little than too much. Do you, do you have an example of this trimming the fat bit? Because that's where it's like, first of all, how do you know what to do? I think it maybe is a bit of a trial and error, but like, what are some suggestions or examples you've done to, yeah, to, to cut that, that mass amount of information into that little, I think what you said that the essence of what you're trying to convey. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, a couple of examples. I have one is in my clue itself. Uh, but, uh, so there's several ways to contribute to Clue. And um, that's a huge thing for us, for our company, because I'm only one person. You know, I'm not in sales meetings all day with like actual prospects, blah, blah, blah. So there's tons of insights that, they're, that they can throw in that helps me a lot, keeps me more up to date. That's not just like in a press release or something. And so there's all these different ways to contribute to Clue. I go over one of them in my new hire training, which I do monthly, by the way. Monthly new hire training. I think that's very important. Um, I go over one way and I literally demonstrate to them step-by-step, click-by-click, and I do it several times on the training. I don't go over the other ways. I just use the most popular way and 
you know, refer to the other ones, like you can check in the resources slide. Uh, there's other ways to do that. Another example, um, differentiators are obviously a big deal for, you know, uh, for products and for competitors. And so we, you know, depending on the deal, there'll be a myriad of different, of different differentiators, depending on what products are up for sale, who we're going against, what the situation is, if they're enterprise, mid market, all this stuff, there's these different differentiators, but there's five big ones that are kind of umbrella that we can pretty much apply to any situation. And in that training, I don't even go over those whole five. I just go over one, the most important one. And then I just kind of refer to the other ones and like let them live in like a slide deck or in a data sheet or whatnot and say, when you have time, go look at these other ones. This is the most important differentiator for us. This is where this, we're starting the conversation is this differentiator. So that's going to be hard because you're going to want to be like, what about these differentiators? And if they're talking about, you know, this product, then we can bring up this, this, and this, and these are just like granular details of like how we're different or better. And you just can't present all that up top. You need to make that exist in a place that they can find it themselves, but not present that on the field enablement call or whatever, because it's just going to go in one and out the other. It's, it's like you're, you're boiling the ocean at that point. Like it's just such an inefficient process. And I think it's interesting as well. When you talked about the actual content, like the battle card content, you mentioned like distilling those down to bullet points, bite-sized chunks, and even like linking them. So like you have some information. If you want to learn more, you click into the battle card. Like you'll go to the, something else relevant to your competitor. Right. And you're also using that in terms of your like enablement training is Let's not just show everything. Let's not show every little thing on every little competitor. Here's right. our entry point and repetition. Like this is just repeating that initial differentiator over and over again, how right. you access it and how, how you use it as well. I think is I, uh, like, I mean, both with presenting, like just teaching and then also with the content itself, however dumb you think it needs to be, it needs to be dumb. <laughs> it, needs be, it needs to be that even more simple than you think it's like you're inundated with it right if you're the ci person you're thinking about this stuff all day and you're writing this stuff all day so you're like oh this is dumbed down this is like pretty streamlined this is pretty easy not to the salespeople, not to the field not, not to, to the, the prospects that, yeah not these people that come in every now and then and, and read the stuff they're still overwhelmed by what to you is very dumbed down you need to go even dumb i mean you gotta like as simple as possible. And I can get more into that in the actual teaching of the content as well. But um, but like you can still have great details and stuff, but I would have it in uh, a, a document or, or someplace where they can access it and do their own self-education rather than when you're going through a new hire training, you're trying to kick off a program, you're doing that, when you're presenting, uh, you got to be as simple as possible, you know? Honestly, it's it's good advice even for someone like myself in a in a content role in a marketing role. Is you're so familiar with everything that between your competitors, you're just like in the weeds a lot more than you realize. I think a lot of the yeah. time, and words will make sense to you, phrases, differentiators make sense to you. But then if you zoom out and take that lens from someone that's completely new, someone that's uh, like you said, like a potential buyer that's that's in a demo. That some of that stuff is going to go right over their head. So the idea of dumbing it down, it, it resonates a ton, ton with me as well, personally, in my own role. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Also, you, you talked about in terms of the content, 
using using prompts. What what do you what do you mean by that, and how does that look? Yeah, I mean, I used to be a teacher. I taught like kids through adults, and um, I you know I tell a lot of people. Uh, and there's not a whole lot of difference between teaching adults working in corporate America or Canada or wherever, and teaching like children. There's not a whole lot of difference. People still like try to be reticent and not speak up or like don't do their homework or like you catch them like not listening and like oh i'm sorry <laughs> uh, you know, i had a different window up i was you know reading cnn or something like that so uh it, there's not a whole lot of difference, honestly so when you come into a training situation like my new hire training i do monthly or you're like you know presenting something it is absolutely essential that you get people active that they're not just sitting there you know, eyes glazing over as you go into your 100th hour of why this product is different than the other product or whatever. Um, so it's really, really important to use engagement in training. And one way I do that is through prompts, right? Like here's a sales situation. Let's go into that, right? Um, a couple of things I'll say on, on like kind of teaching or presenting or trying to get that training going is... Uh, never go more than 45 minutes, hopefully keep it to like 30, you know, once again, the, the salespeople's uh, attention span is notoriously short, you know, and they've got other things that are going on. So if they don't see value immediately, there's going to be like, whatever, I'm tuning out, I'm putting this on mute, open another window and going on, you know? Um, so I would not try to go 45 minutes. I would try to keep it to 30. Once again, keep it as dumb as possible. Uh, and so like for a prompt, one thing I'll say is like, here's our prompt. Here's four bullet points, right? You're up against competitor ABC. The uh, uh, one pain point of the, of the prospect is this. Uh, one objection is this. And another objection is that, right? So based on that, uh, where are we going? How are we going to respond to pain point one? How are we going to deposition uh, you know, uh, company ABC, com uh, competitor ABC, how are we going to respond to um, this objection or whatnot, right? Now, it's really important that you don't push people off the cliff before you teach them to fly. You got to do examples, exhaustive examples, slowly before and practice second. Examples first, practice second, right? So I would go over a prompt with them and say, like, here's the situation. And it's not even in a paragraph. The situation is super stripped down to where it would never be this direct in real life, but for training purposes, this really helps them get their mind wrapped around the situation and the ways in which they might use CI and the collateral that you have worked so hard to create for them, right? So we're against competitor ABC, objection one, objection two, this is what they're interested in, here's the pain point. So go to the battle card and show them, hey, I'm over here in this part of the battle card and I know that they've said objection A, so here's how we're, we'll, you know, uh, respond to that, right? They think that prospect ABC is better in this area. So I'll go over the battle card and literally show them on the screen, this is where I'm going to find this. And I'll say, blah, blah, blah to them, right? That, that direct, but it's not, you know, that, that straightforward. After you've done that and shown them, I would repeat that process with them, I pull up a new prompt and it says, hey, we're against competitor ABC. There's a couple of objections, a couple of pain points. You know, Joe Blow, how would you respond to objection one right here? Here's a hint, it's in this section of the battle card. 
and have them go there themselves and find the answer. And you can be, it's okay to be like that simple and that straightforward is like, here's the objection, here's your who's we're going against, here's the area of the battle card, tell me the answer. It's fine for you to do that and it'd be that simple because that's how simple you need to make it before they start getting it in their head. Oh, live when I'm out there in the field, I'm on the call with somebody, I can pull up the battle card and find it. I can pull up a kill sheet and know to send that to them. You know what I mean? Um, another thing I'll say is under no circumstances should you say, so who would like to answer this question? Like, who, <laughs> you know, like absolutely you are a teacher, you are an authority figure. They are a student. You need to direct them. I, I do not call on people. I do not just say like, well, who would like to answer a question? I say person, first name, last name, please answer. You know, here's this, this pain point. And it, it may seem some people starting that might seem uncomfortable talking to their colleagues, whatever people will respond to assertiveness and expertise and, uh, and just like authority like that. They will respect that and they will appreciate it after they will be like, man, that was really, that was really constructive, you know, session when we were in the, you know, using the prompt and said, Hey, Susie Q, can you please answer this? You know, and here's the area of the battle card and blah, blah, blah. That they, that will help people do that, you know? And I'll go through several prompts and we'll go through, uh, respond to objections or pain points or, or whatever it may be. Um, and you know, if they can't find the answer, even if, even though you literally pointed them right there to where it is, then you might open it up to the field and say, Hey, can somebody help her out? And because you've gone through so much effort to show exactly how easy this is to find the answer or to use the collateral, whether it's a kill sheet, battle card, whatever, uh, then people feel a little bit more comfortable asking, or, you know, you're raising their hand or speaking up or whatnot, you know? And, and one thing about this, this works great if you got a group that, you know, I don't know, is 20 people, 25 people, lower than that, maybe. Start getting a little bit too big, mm -hmm. right? Let's say you got 100 people on this call. One thing you might do instead of direct uh, engagement like that is pull the audience. That's one thing you can do is like, hey, we got a, we got a Slack channel open. Here's a multiple choice question on competitive intelligence. Uh, you know, what do you guys think it is? And then people can answer in there and be like, yeah, that's correct. The answer is C and here's why or whatever, you know. Another thing you can do if it's a real large group is role play. Role play works very well. You know, person A from the company is going to be a prospect. Person B from the company is going to be a rep, and just very straightforward. Feed him the the uh, this, the person playing the prospect is like, oh, well, I have a you know, I don't know. You guys seem expensive, or you guys it seems too complex. I'm not really interested in this product or that product. I don't see how it pertains to me. And have the other person role play, and have them pull stuff up on the collateral or use that and, and go into it. You know, um, so that really works well if it's a big big group. People can take away things from that. They, it puts it in their world. Um, and one thing I'll say as far as like people need to be better teachers and better public speakers is just leaving pauses in your speech to let things sink in. Leaving pauses in your speech to let things sink in makes a huge thing. So many people uh, just have like a, just an absolute flatline cadence that it just follow, falls flat on people. They get bored and they just like stop paying attention, even subconsciously. 
mix up your cadence, mix up your volume, mix up your speed, you know, and leave those pauses in there. That helps people like stay awake and focus. From, from my journalism background is actually feeling comfortable and sitting in those pauses is when you elicit the most engagement and the most insightful responses. Humans have a tendency, especially if they're not comfortable, like you mentioned, as in a teaching situation to want to fill in those gaps with arms, butts, or carry on to the next point and keep moving on. But feeling comfortable in those moments, in those pauses is actually where in, in this podcasting situation or talking with uh, customers and any of those situations, you really get the best responses and the most, the most out of those moments. No, definitely. Definitely. I mean, um, I think that, you know, it's going to feel weird at first for if somebody's like starting to do a big presentation on CI, whatever to, to leave those pauses in there, but it can't, I can't stress enough how important it is and how effective it is. That's when, when, when you start stop talking, that's where there's like a break and people are like, huh? Like they start paying attention. It's like, oh, I need, you know, there, there's something uh, required of me here. And something clicks in their brain when you leave some time in there. You know, when your voice stops becoming white noise, that's when people start paying attention. And that, that really, yeah, makes them pay attention a lot more and, and get more out of it. So. I'm curious as well. So one thing I've heard, and this is meant as a compliment, is that sales are the best BS detectors in the company they can sense when stuff doesn't 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 meet the sniff test from from your end i know as someone in charge of competitive like it's paramount that you are very the devil is in the details that you are on top of that but how do you in terms of these enablement sessions and you're talking about a lot of engagement how do you handle maybe if there's skepticism on the sales end Skepticism on the sales or questions. They're they're poking, they're poking and prodding at some of the maybe the intel and the prompts that you're providing. Right. Uh I no, I honestly I'm just kind of seen as like an oracle who can do no wrong is infallible. So uh, no, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um I really <laughs> haven't had to deal, I really haven't had to deal with a whole lot of people being like, what? Because I generally am, I guess, the authority on it. That said, I have had people come to me and say, um, hey, I think you need to update this or this is out of date on a specific competitor or something like that. And I act very graciously. I say like, thank you so much. And I think one thing that goes is maybe getting out ahead of it. Now that I'm thinking about it is I, I've told I've told the field, like I'm one guy, you know, I'm doing everything I can and monitoring everything and updating battle cards and, and, and you know, re reconnaissance and stuff all the time. But at the end of the day, A, I'm one guy. B, I'm not sitting in sales conversations with prospects uh, and, and, and clients on like a daily basis. And there's so much out there that I need to have from the field that is not just like public information. You know what I mean? Like they'll find like pricing information in a, in a meeting that is not just going to be on a competitor's website. So as far as like, hey, uh, them poking or prodding or, or showing skepticism, I would try to get out ahead of it and say, I'm doing the best I can. I can vouch for most of this information. That said, I absolutely welcome feedback if you see anything that needs addition, subtraction, or change. And I need y'all's help specifically. I need your help because you, at the end of the day, are going to be privy to information that is just not public domain. Is is you know I can't be in every sales meeting all the time or anything like that. So for them showing skepticism, I would just be upfront and say I'm doing everything I can. I can vouch for a lot of it. I need your help 
to keep me honest and keep everything up to date because stuff's always changing and I'm not in all those meetings. Do you have examples of bad competitive content in, in, in your own experience? Has there been some lessons that you've learned in terms of going from creating bad content to good content? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I mean, with CI being the nature of it is bad content, the thing that comes to mind for me is too much or the wrong information. And then also out of date information, you know, stuff's always changing. They're always, you know, messing with, uh, product offerings or what's current or, uh, you know, the space they're moving in or what their messaging is, you know, that stuff's always changing. So it's just, especially can't stay on top of it and being current. That's one, that's one thing that makes it bad CI. And then other, other than it's bad, it's like something that doesn't resonate with the field, doesn't help, or, or is just, there's just too much information. And for example, like I mean, on the opposite side of that, good content would be uh, short and actionable, and it doesn't do the rep's job of sales. It's short and actionable, and it doesn't do the rep's job of sales, meaning the rep's job is filling in the blanks and color commentary and creating a narrative, right? For example, good CI would say our product A is better than their product A because of X, Y, and Z. Then the rep comes in, they create the narrative. They, they, they talk about how this solves business needs. They personalize it to that pain point, all that stuff. And at the end of the day, CI is not sales enablement. And the salesperson is the person that's going to create that narrative, tell the story of how the company and the products can benefit the prospect or client and personalize it to their pain points, uh, solve business needs, all that stuff. So you can leave all that out of the CI. The CI needs to be a little bit more straightforward and, and simple. Our product A is better than their product A because it because of A, B, uh, X, Y, and Z, whatever. Yeah. And what, what about in terms of the intel that you get? Where, where are the best sources you find to create good content? What, what intel is kind of noisy at times? And where have you found like, oh, this is a goldmine for competitive information? Yeah, unquestionably. I mean, obviously, you know, it's not necessarily noisy, but like a competitor's website is a great place to start. It can only take you so far. Because, I mean, by its very nature, it's just kind of high level and doesn't have exact details, but it's a great place to start the website. I think that, and I've kind of said this before, but the field itself and interviewing people, like just checking on your Salesforce or CRM or whatever and seeing who just won or lost a deal against a competitor that you're trying to focus on, go sit down and interview them and just say, hey, what went well, what didn't go well, you know, what could we get over, what, what, what made us win the deal or whatever as, as it pertains to CI. That's a great wealth of information and will help you create actionable content for the field is just literally talking to them, interviewing them. I think another thing is a lot of companies will have like frequently asked questions page or um, resources pages or something like that that will get deeper into their product. And so then you can just you know, sift through that and find that way you can find a lot more details about how products stack up against each other. Because on the websites, a lot of times it's kind of like the products generally more or less do the same. It's when you start getting deeper that you can actually start depositioning as far as like, well, 
you know, theirs doesn't do this, ours does this, or or whatnot. Yeah. That's interesting. It's like a foundation. It's a good starting point, but to get to that next level, like you mentioned, it's like to deposition. Yeah, I'd say yeah. website, good starting point. Talking to the actual reps themselves, interviewing them better, deeper. And then also there's some like resources pages on the comp website. And there's some like um, frequently asked question pages. And sometimes those get more granular and that can actually be helpful. Yeah. Okay, that's that's great. Did you have any other kind of words of wisdom? I think there's been a lot of a lot of good uh, takeaways from this, but in terms of that, I really love the stuff you've been talking about about teaching sales to use your content. Is there anything else that we might have missed that you you want to bring up to here? One thing is, uh, I do recommend like we do monthly new hire training. So anybody, some people have been there like a day, and some people have been there like, uh, you know, almost six weeks or something like that, but having everyone go through, uh, you know, a 45 minute CI training and doing the engagement, because when you break it down to like a monthly new hire thing, usually it's in between, you know, 10 and I don't know, 20, 25 people or whatever. Uh, it's very manageable and you can get it's smaller class size. That's, you know, take it to a teaching term, smaller class size. So you can have that engagement where you have the prompts and have people interact with them. Be like, I'm in this situation. How would I use the collateral of CI? You know, like, so doing new hire training, uh, depending on the size of the company, when obviously but doing new hire, new hire training is really helpful. And also just over communicating, just, I mean, just literally brute force cramming it in people's heads about what's coming up, what's important, uh, where to find stuff, you know, not letting them forget about you. So just hammering it home over, you know, there's Slack channels and Google meets and live meetings and podcasts and webinars and internal newsletters and, you know, whatever it is. Uh, really you just honestly cannot go wrong with just like repetition and just like putting it in people's heads because then honestly the onus is on them they don't know something you've gone overboard and trying to get it to them that's on them at that point you know all right colby that was that was awesome i'm sure we're gonna have you on again soon probably for your next birthday maybe probably sooner actually <laughs> this this was your present and this will be a present for all of our listeners so thanks for joining us yeah absolutely man thank you guys very much and uh, everybody have a great day We'll catch you all next week. Thanks, man.